At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Right now on Fast, boom or bubble. NVIDIA blowing the doors off the AI trade and taking the sector along with it. But is this NVIDIA pixie dust part of a future fairy tale or the beginning of a nightmare ending for investors? Plus, Bill Ackman back on the attack against his old rival Carl Icahn. In a lengthy tweet, Ackman calling the situation between Icahn and short seller Hindenburg fascinating. Icon Enterprises plunging nearly 14% today. And later, Elon Musk heading back to Twitter spaces. He'll be talking to, of all people, Ford CEO Jim Farley. What will they talk about? And fresh off ringing the NASDAQ opening bell, PLL founder Paul Rabel will be alongside to talk streaming and big changes with his league. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start off with what could turn out to be a pivotal moment in the rise of AI. Shares of NVIDIA soaring more than 24% today, its biggest gain in more than six years, after the chipmaker said it is seeing surging demand for AI products. The company adding more than $185 billion to its market cap just today, a shade shy of the single biggest one-day gain ever for any S&P traded company. The move boosting shares of other artificial intelligence plays, AMD, Microsoft, Alphabet, C3, AI, all outpacing the market today. In just the last hour, Marvell Technology getting a boost after its earnings report. That company's CEO saying AI has emerged as a key growth driver for the company. Christina Parsonetalis is more on the Marvell side of the story. Christina. Yeah, you said it. Uh, Really, shares just started uh, soaring right after they said that they're projecting 2024 AI revenue to double without really defining what encompasses all that AI revenue. The key word, though, AI, and that's exactly what the CEO said just within the first minute of the call. He did say eight times, just eight times in the first minute. I know Guy usually likes to hear that. Uh, Yes, it was a two cent adjusted earnings beat on revenues of uh, 1.3%. $2 $2 billion. Yes, Q2 guidance also came in higher, but only just slightly. If you look at revenue, though, and you look at the breakdown, both consumer sales and auto industrials both fell short of expectations. CEO Matt Murphy saying they are, quote, expecting revenue growth, like you said, to accelerate in uh, the second half of this fiscal year, accompanied by gross and operating margin expansion. But they do admit in this press release, and they're probably going through the earnings call right now, that they are still in the early stages of their AI ramp. So AI is the word that's helping and the fact that they're projecting uh, much higher for uh, revenue growth for that. But I'm still waiting to see the definition. What encompasses <laughs> that? Just switches? Keep us posted on that, Christina. Thank you. Christina Bartzenevelis. So with all this AI euphoria, begs the question, is this the start of a boom in AI or is this the mark of a bubble? brewing in the space. Oh, I hear, I hear it now. Sorry, it took a second. Yeah, it I thought it was coming from outside. Yeah. Those no. are it's a sound effect. Bubbles. Boom or bubble? Yeah. What was the boom yeah. sound? Yeah. Can we hear that again? Yeah. Possibly? One more time. Oh. Fire. Yes, oh, fire. that's fire. Okay, fire. got it. Sorry. Let's crack, yeah. crack staff and EC. Yes. They worked all day on that one, didn't they? <laughs> Apparently they didn't use AI for that, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> is it, it's, it's not going away, clearly. I mean, the Internet didn't go away in 99, 2000 either. Obviously, it was here to stay, but valuations got stretched. I mean, I think with Scott McNeely at Sun Microsystems tried to do the math around why his company, it was not sustainable growth the way the market was projecting. And the history is repeating itself right here. NVIDIA is an extraordinarily important company. It's receiving a premium valuation on the back of everything we've been talking about. And on a day where it adds $200 billion at one point today, there are only 45 companies in the world that have a market cap of $200 billion. Think about it for a second. Traded 160 or so million shares. And that's not short covering. Dan talked about it last night. There is no short interest whatsoever in NVIDIA. These are people now pouring into the name and getting out of other sectors. So is it here to stay? Yes. Is it euphoric? Absolutely. Bubble? No. But valuations certainly are. Does the backdrop of the markets in terms of the things that we're facing up against, potential Fed rate hikes to come, debt ceiling, um, you know, troubles, Tim, is, does that backdrop make this look more attractive, do you think? It makes it or look more troublesome. Well, you know, debt ceiling and recession and higher rates and Fed and stuff that we're, we're overcome with every day. I, I, I think this has a slightly different driver. Right. And to the extent that you're talking about a secular trend and, in fact, a, a rage, um, it's something that I think is important to differentiate. I, I, I think mega cap tech is outperforming because of some of those reasons. I think they're safe. It's safety growth. And we've, we've seen that over and over again. If you look at semiconductors as a group today, um, they now broke out, broke through that March 23 resistance level. And if you look at pieces of the market that take the market higher, not all stocks. And we, we do this all the time on this show. Um, this is the kind of news that does take the market higher. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just say, you know, you look at the analyst community, we quick, we often um, are, are uh, we're critical when they suddenly upgrade on higher pricing. Um, you can't really blame the analyst community when they come in and say, um, here's what we did. We're going to have record sales in the quarter of the April quarter, and we're actually going to have 80% growth in the July quarter. And we can now see demand over the next multiple quarters, and that's why you're getting those upgrades. Karen, you're mm-hmm. long, NVIDIA. I am long. Bravo. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, I <laughs> at AMD, but I actually I am not sure whether Nvidia is more expensive today or less expensive mm-hmm. today, right? I thought those numbers were so incredibly extraordinary. And remember, they're in the picks and shovel business, which we always like to talk about. That's where you want to be, not in the the hunting for gold. So could there be, is there a bubble? Yes, I feel like we're really early. We're in the early innings of a bubble. The mis- you know, mix, oh, human- yeah, oh there listen, we go. Listen. Nice. Oh, yeah. So, um, and I can't help but think, you and I were texting a little bit about this while, uh, while you were on the show last night, about that being a potential sandbag. If you think you're going to do $11 billion-ish, then you don't put out 11, 11 billion, right? So what do they really think they're going to do? And they also talked about what? No, I. I and you also talked about the sandbag. The terms we're using right. here, I throwing know. some bubbles around sandbags. I know and it's, all it's extraordinary, but we don't see this very often. Yeah. And I feel like we're we're are we in the middle of the stock? We're closer to the middle of the stock mania maybe than the the actual mania of the of the, the evolution of of whatever ai is which encompasses everything mm-hmm. i know we often just put in the term pixie dust when we talk about stocks but this they're really in an extraordinary position and so i i i'm not at all surprised i actually thought there would be some even higher uh targets so you just this. stay long i'm just staying long staying long you're not hedging you're not doing any other so sort the stock's of cheaper today i i think the stock off. is cheaper today it is cheaper. It's certainly cheaper on an expected P.E. basis. Right. So um, now that may be OK. Top, you know, time to go. But I am staying long. 
All right, so no congrats here. I, I've been short via puts to find risk, and, and not about the technology. It's not about the secular shift. It's not about any of this stuff. It's really about valuation. It's about expectations. And in that quarter, the guide that they gave was truly astounding. I can't remember that percentage on such a short period. This company reported earnings just three months ago, gave guidance, right? And the way they beat and what they just guided for does tell you that there's obviously something going on, but it really speaks to what I think is a supply-demand sort of issue here. And you saw that announcement from Microsoft that was just a few weeks ago with AMD, okay, they're looking for other sources here, right? They need to kind of get the the, the supply that they need, and AMD has gained 50% 50% since it gapped down 9% on May 3rd after their quarter in guidance. So when you think about visibility, what the lack of visibility that NVIDIA had three months ago for demand for this product, the lack of visibility that AMD had just three weeks ago for similar sorts of products, it doesn't actually make me feel that good about what the back half of this year might look like. I suspect there's lots of double ordering, maybe triple ordering, maybe quadruple ordering for these sorts of chips right now. But the other thing I'll just say is like, listen, this is the semi conductor industry. They make chips. They make CPUs. They make GPUs. Sometimes some companies are able to put them together. They make them smaller. They make them faster. They make them cheaper. And this, it's very cyclical, right? And so it's not like th- th- these are just this is an upgrade cycle, right? So all of a sudden, these data centers that have been built out over the last 10 years by the hyperscalers and that sort of thing, they need faster chips to do this thing that was introduced to us last year, really on a consumer facing basis, this generative AI. And now all these companies are going to rush around and say, I need large language models are. I need this. I need to compete. Right. But here's the thing. I mean, the application of these processes are not going to be something that a lot of these companies are going to be able to like monetize that quickly anytime soon. The, the chips are really expensive. Okay. The cost to compute is really right. expensive. I mean, there's a whole host of things. So I, I know that was a I little bit too much. So what I'm saying is right now, what the market is doing is not rational. But we've seen this before, okay? Like, we've seen it again and again in lots of different hype cycles around technology. So my trade was a trade. I kept on rolling up puts. I kept on losing money. We call it in the trading business good money after bad. That's me. I'm the dumbest guy on the desk. You guys know that. But I, I like to think that I have a good handle for, like, what's going on. I just think the likelihood of this stock to be able to go up another few hundred billion is not particularly So did you great. roll up again? Yeah. <laughs> you did? Yeah, to July. Okay. Yeah. What do you think happens between now and July? Well, I think there's going to be uh, the fever is going to break at some point. And, uh-huh. and I think that because I just don't know how you make money from here right now. Like, look at today. Microsoft was up 4 percent. OK, Google was up 2 percent. Like, like, think about all, like it's it's raising the biggest boats in the market here. And then all the crap, this, the things that you think are pure play or whatever in this Marvel we just heard. I mean, Marvel's got exposure. They all have exposure because they're upgrading their current like chipsets, like like like, and they're certain offerings. So I, you know, it makes sense to me. But I'm not saying to short it. But uh, you know, I wouldn't buy into it here. Earlier in the week, you know, we talked about Micron, China, yeah. all that thing, and Nvidia was interesting to me. I think it was Monday, and Nvidia actually made comments about, and I'm paraphrasing, yes. but the potential devastation if this rhetoric, if this escalated in terms of U.S.-China and what it would mean to the sector. And I'm like, that's really interesting that they said that. Then you come to realize Nvidia's got a lot of they got a lot of skin in this U.S. Where do China they make their chips game. So I what want. could happen? I mean, this didn't go away magically. President Biden has said he thought that U.S.-China relations would improve. Six hours later, President Xi said, "I don't know what you're looking at, pal, but it ain't getting any better anytime soon." So that's not going away either. So I think the dance point, if you're looking for a potential downside, it's still in the, it still comes in the face of all these things we've been worried about yeah. for quite some time. 
Our next guest warns enthusiasm surrounding AI stocks is distracting investors from recession risks. Economist David Rosenberg is founder and president of Rosenberg Research. David, great to have you with us. Um, It's certainly when you look at this sector, it doesn't feel like we're talking about these companies living in in an economy that is about to go into a recession, (laughs) an economy that's about to hit hard times. Um, What do you think? I'm just curious. What do you think the Fed thinks about this sort of bubble-like action in a sector of the economy. Do you think it makes them think that their job is is not done? Well, I, I would say that there's no question, I think, that we have a, a price bubble. And, uh, you know, we had a price bubble with the dot-coms uh, and the Internet back in the late 1990s. Uh, but there's the financial bubble. But then there is, you know, the real impact on the economy. And you could not, not argue that the Internet was a game changer for productivity. So we had a real-time shift in productivity and what that meant for the corporate cost curve in general. Uh, and you had a financial bubble at the same time. And so they can co- coexist. I mean, if you look at the the six-month chart of the NASDAQ 100, uh, you have to be blind not to see that, okay, this is actually looks very weird uh, and it's way overextended. But if I'm at the Fed, uh, I'm looking at this as... As Paul Trudor Jones said, uh, you know, I think last week on Squawk Box that this is a major productivity accelerator. And you're at the Fed, uh, you're thinking, okay, this should actually help reduce the corporate cost curve and should be disinflationary. And so it actually, from a real economic sense, would work towards their anti inflation objectives. David, uh, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. When we look at what interest rates are doing and what people think the Fed and having more conviction that the Fed is more conviction staying the course, it, it, it certainly adds to your thesis. And the thesis that, first of all, the cost of, of financing a lot of these corporates, uh, their, their earnings profile are changing dramatically and that rates are staying higher for longer. Talk about how you think that the Fed, or, or maybe you don't, but where the Fed is truly on their course here, but what that means for equities, especially when so much of the corporate earnings structure is, has been tied to zero rates for so long and that equities aren't repricing that. Well, you know, it depends, you know, which index you're looking at uh, and which sectors you're looking at. So uh, I don't think you can look at the um, the stock market right now is some sort of homogeneous entity, okay? So if you added up the three most economic sensitive sectors of the market, you added up the banks, you added up consumer discretionary, and you added up the transports, okay? They have the highest torque to GDP. They're down more than 30% from the cycle highs. They're actually behaving in the exact same pattern they have going into the past four recessions. You look at the S&P 600 or the Russell 2000, they are still, even with the better tone this year, they are still in fundamental bear markets. So, you know, look, when you have a situation where the S&P is basically now 27% technology, and technology is growth, which means it's a long-duration asset, that, yes, will look through uh, the gyrations and the around the the business cycle doesn't mean they can't get hit and we saw what happened back in the early 2000s but by definition growth stocks are going to react a little differently to the economic cycle than the pure cyclicals and the cyclicals are giving you just like the inverted yield curve is giving you a recession signal david thank you for joining us appreciate your time david rosenberg interesting to think that on the other side of this bubble 
inflation of stocks related to AI could be disinflation because of the productivity gained. And that maybe if we get to 3% or 4%, that the last couple of percent, the last could be productivity gains. Not today. Not today. No, no, nope. not today. Years out. Years out. Yeah, except, but, and, but the biggest part of the Fed's problem right now is the job market. I, don't, I mean, it, what's going on right now is more to me what we're talking about over the next two to three years. And I, 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 theoretically, everything, we all know that the last three decades have been disinflationary based upon uh, what technology has done. But um, I don't think this is going to help the Fed right here. I think inflation is very sticky. All right. Meantime, another high profile Twitter spaces collaboration is just minutes away. This time, Elon Musk is going to host Ford CEO Jim Farley, uh, but two rival auto chiefs sitting down talking business on Twitter. Kind of odd, right? For more, let's bring in Phil LeBeau. Um, Phil, as I recall, you know, Jim Farley in the past is sort of needled Elon Musk, needled Tesla, talked about them openly. It's sort of like a frenemy situation. Sure. <laughs> a little bit of a frenemy situation. I think there is a healthy respect between Elon Musk and Jim Farley and vice versa in terms of uh, EVs, developing EVs. And Jim Farley will tell you, I mean, and I've, done, I've asked him this on air, he will tell you privately. He has immense respect for what uh, Elon Musk and what Twitter, or excuse me, Tesla have done and what they've developed here. So this Twitter Spaces conversation will be interesting. They're saying it's about uh, expanding EV adoption. So what does that mean? We'll find out in the next 20 minutes. But I would be curious to see how this conversation goes and really if they, if they break new ground in terms of what can be done to accelerate EV adoption. Yeah. Uh, Phil, thank you. Keep us posted on what goes on. Phil LeBeau. Who would have thought five months ago we'd be monitoring Twitter spaces for, for breaking news? But here we are. Now, listen, we thought, well, I shouldn't say we. I thought this would be a great way for them to monetize the platform with Twitter spaces. <laughs> That's probably a year or so ago. That didn't happen, right? And Twitter still, if the pr- platform is probably still a bit in trouble here. But it's clear that they want to use this now as an avenue to sort of discern and put out news, which is a good thing. So... I actually give Elon Musk credit for this, for sure. Yeah, and people want to talk to Elon Musk, that, you know, 100%. maybe he will be the draw for other big voices on Twitter. If, if Elon right. Musk called you up, Karen, and said you want to do a Twitter Spaces with me, you'd probably I'd, say I'd yes. I'd listen to that. Yeah, I would say, I would say yes, yeah, of course. Me too. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. he is interesting, no doubt. Right. How about, well, let's see, Dan. Oh, <laughs> when Elon Musk said to you or tweeted at you, hey, sure. Dan. He did tweet at me. Spaces? I tweeted back at him. I got kicked <laughs> off Twitter. I mean, like, listen, I, I think he's fully, you know what? I mean, I think that he's using this as a little trick to, to get Twitter act, you know, engagement going. Yeah. You know, like the well, thing. Why is this a trick? This why is a way to get Twitter engagement going. Well, because he's the owner of the platform, has 134 million users. No one else is, is really doing a whole heck of a lot on the platform. The platform's a zero, people. Just go look at it. It literally feels like a dead stick. I mean, go on there. There's nothing What's going on. a dead on. stick feeling? Well, like, so well it's just it's like, 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 I'm just telling you. I mean, like, I, you, none of us are tweeting. We used to spend a lot of time during the shows tweeting and doing all this stuff and engaging with viewers. And that's not going on anymore. And so, to me, I think it's funny that he follows up after what seemed like an absolute dud of a, a like an experience for DeSantis launching his presidential bid last night. I know there were a lot of people on it. They had a lot of problems on it. There was a lot of criticism of it. Like, why is he the guy who's interviewing these sorts of people or whatever? It's just like, I don't know, man. I thought that this guy is a very dangerous guy. He's the richest guy in the world who owns the, this big platform. He can do whatever the hell he wants with it or whatever. I think that we're whistling past the graveyard if we're just going to give him a pass every time he wants to put up a space and, 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 and think that this is going to be all like kumbaya. Mel? 
Yes, Scott. I, 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 I didn't go to the medical school, but I, I don't think dead stick is something you want to have. But, Tim, to your question. <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. I believe that aviators talk about dead sticks as like the pilots of something were to happen in their aircraft and they're no longer able to control their plane. Great Top Gun thing. Is they that, talk about a dead it, stick. It's actually an Armageddon is where I, I got it from. The classic. Remember Harry Stamper? Yeah. Did you Armageddon. have an internship uh, behind um, again, in the cockpit, too? Because you definitely is no, in every other job. Continue this in the break. Right, in the break. Yeah. Coming up, retail More stocks fun. on the move in the after hours. Gap, Alta, and other retail names all reporting results. Details from the quarter's next. Plus, the billionaire battle lives on. Investor Bill Ackman reigniting his feed with Carl Icahn with a dig at how Icahn Enterprise does business. More on that when Fast Money returns. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double dose of retail earnings, starting with Gap shares surging on a substantial improvement in gross margins. That conference call is underway. Courtney Reagan has the very latest. Court. Hi, Melissa. Yeah, shares up about 15% on a surprise profit from a retailer that's frankly struggled under some inventory missteps and executive turnover. Gap revenues are in line. Comparable sales down 3% as expected. By brand, the namesake Gap brand wasn't as bad as fear. It was actually up 1% for comparable sales. Banana Republic continues to struggle. Comps down 8%. Old Navy down 1%. That was expected to be higher. And Athleta Comps down 13%. Merchandise there, frankly, just didn't resonate. Margins did grow 570 basis points thanks to lower freight costs and less markdowns. Guidance, though, mixed. Lower second quarter revenue expectations, but full year sales are reaffirmed. Women's was the best category for Old Navy and Gap. Active and kids, those were softer. There was some slower demand from the lower income shopper at Old Navy. That was noted as well. Overall, store sales stronger than online sales, down 4 and 9% respectively. And to your point, that call is still ongoing. Melissa? All right, Court, thank you. Courtney Reagan. Um, Tim? Yeah. Well, it's it's great that the gross margins are better. The company needs to make some profit. They've announced a second quarter dividend. Hooray. But the, the you know, lapping very difficult uh, you know, comps on freight and, and, and distribution, I, I think, are not reasons to do somersaults uh, or cartwheels. Maybe somersaults mm-hmm. is what you're doing when you're hitting those. So I, I, I think... 
Good story. Let's watch it. Uh, the trends I see in retail are not encouraging, uh, and they're not encouraging in apparel or discretionary retail. Look at NVIDIA. Sorry. Look at, look at Lululemon, which acts like NVIDIA or used to. Look at Nike, which I'm short. And, and I think you're going to continue to see some of this margin erosion. Uh, short interest is 14%. Which is why way. this is, you know, if you look, inventories were down 27.5% year over year. So that's a good thing in this environment, actually, which means margins will be probably better for a couple quarters. Doesn't mean they're out of the woods by any stretch of imagination, but it means the stock can probably get back to 11 bucks, which has been a level of resistance a couple times. So are you investing here? No. Are you trading the stock? Yeah, I think people will cover their shorts. We've seen it before. You saw what happened in Abercrombie and Fitch. These are broken businesses whose stocks can rally in this environment. That's what we're seeing right now. Let's get to Ulta now. Shares are dropping despite a top and a bottom line beat and strong full year guidance. Let's get back to Courtney with the details. Courtney. Hi there, Melissa. Yeah, so Ulta slightly raising its full year revenue guidance, reaffirming earnings and comparable sales forecasts. Comparable sales up 9.3 percent. It's pretty much in line with expectations, but really strong compared to the rest of retail services like hair and makeup. That was up double digits in the quarter. On the call, CEO Dave Kimball said promotional activity is increasing and sales in the mass category continue to grow faster than prestige. Kimball said it's hard to know, though, if that's due to consumers price sensitivity or strong engagement with those mass brands. It's been a trend that's continued. Skincare, the best performing category. And Ulta continue to see pressure from shrink. So another retailer calling out organized retail crime specifically, also noting higher levels of aggression and violence. That is impacting Ulta's forecast going forward. They spent a little bit of time on that topic on the call. Melissa? Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. Karen, you have this. I do. Yes. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. <laughs> I am long Ulta. I mean, there was it, it wasn't a terrible quarter, but this is a stock that is expects better, right? Uh-huh. And actually their guidance going forward was a little bit below the street. So their gross margin was a little light, which isn't good. Um, it's I think that shrinkage is in the gross margin. So there's that. Their expenses were really the part that was most disappointing to me. I don't know if expenses of trying to prevent theft um, is what's in there. That was disappointing. The store count growth was lower than I thought. I don't know if that made them pause. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but the stock as you know went from a 19 PE to maybe now, I don't know, 17 yeah. PE, depending on where. Guy has been all over this, and the chart's looking terrible. We talk terrible. offline, Karen and yeah. I, about yes. Ulta. And the chart looking terrible, and um, so it's broken through that resistance yeah. that you pointed out. Um, I mean, I'm long, I'm disappointed. Um, I've got to go back and hear the call and hear what they, they said about it. I, I don't know, they were stealing fragrance. They pointed that out. I don't know why that's particularly a good thing. I guess it's high margin relative to, to sell to organized crime, yeah. I guess. But I mean, this is a broad pervasive problem. It now. really is. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next level? This is it, actually. So oh. it's 450-ish. If you look since and 2020, it's still in an uptrend if you look at this chart. So if we could go longer term, you'll see. I actually thought it would stop around 482 or so. And if you look today, that's exactly where it did stop. And it closed at 485. But here we are now. But I think valuations, actually, you can make a relatively cogent case on valuation. It's going to trade tomorrow probably north of 6 million shares. You're going to flush a lot of people out. So I think this is probably an entry point here instead of an exit point. All right. There's a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. Two hedge fund heavy hitters reigniting their feud as short sellers take aim at Icon Enterprises. The details and how Napoleon got in the mix. Next. 
Plus, the debt ceiling talks continue. And markets seem to swing on every headline. But can corporate debt be a safe haven amid the volatility? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome back to Fast Money. So much for Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn burying the hatchet. Look at that hug. Oh, it's not really. Well, wow. That was just in 2014. Of. Now a distant memory because the billionaires are back at it. Shares of Icahn's investment firm plunging to lows not seen since 2004 after Ackman echoed allegations from short seller Hindenburg Research. Ackman tweeting, IEP premium has been sustained by a large dividend yield, which is not supported by operating cash flows. The yield is generated by returning capital to outside shareholders, which is in turn funded by the company selling stock to investors. He goes on to say that he is neither long or short IEP stock. Icon responding, telling our Scott Wapner that, quote, taking advice from Ackman, Ackman excuse me, concerning short selling is like taking advice from Napoleon or the German general staff on how to invade Russia. End quote. Classic <laughs> Carl. Um, Karen, what do you think? It's fascinating. I mean, uh, uh, so many parts of it. The Hindenburg, the, mm-hmm. it's such an interesting target to go at when you have one very large holder, right? Um, and it's such an interesting structure. So the stock has, uh, you know, obviously gotten killed since the Hindenburg thing came out. That rallied a little bit at the end of the day today when Icon said he was going to respond. Yeah. We don't know what he's going to say, but if he is. If he does have sort of margin loans across the street, that's what Ackman made a reference to Arkegos yeah. and how, you know, he had many loans. And when they all started to call, call those loans in, that that led to forced selling. And so that, that's, I guess, the perception of what could happen here. Now, um, I'm really interested to hear what Carl says. We have one other thing Bill pointed out that I thought was interesting and worth Carl probably addressing is, where are the loans? What are they? What are the terms? Who has them? Normally we see that information, but I haven't been able to find it here. So um, the short interest, I don't know what it is now, but there's only 57 million shares outstanding of the non-Carl stock and 310 million or so of the Carl stock. I got to imagine that short interest is getting really high. And what happens if this stock, which can be borrowed, no longer becomes borrowable? Does that cause a squeeze? If I were Carl, that's what I would try to be doing. Yeah. You got to, Bill Ackman has just got to be absolutely loving this, right? I mean, it's, I'm shocked that he hasn't made his way on, onto air just to sort of talk about this. Talk about this. I mean, the stock trade down to 18 and changed. This is a 15 year low in the name. So it's a fascinating story. But Carl Icahn's been on both sides of this whole. I mean, I think it was Conseco back in like the early 2000s that he was actually short and got squeezed. And Erwin Jacobs, I think, was talking about don't lend your stock out. This is all coming back, playing out 23 or so years later. Coming up, Twitter Spaces take two. Elon Musk talking with Ford CEO Jim Farley in just moments. We'll bring you the headlines as we get them. And short-term rates are spiking as 
The U.S. credit rating is put on watch, but are there still opportunities in the debt markets? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fitch placing the U.S. AAA credit rating on watch negative as the debt ceiling talks continue. The uncertainty sending the shortest term Treasury yields above 6 percent, the highest they've been since at least 2001. And with all the volatility in the markets, investors are on the prowl for safe havens. One possibility, high rated corporate bonds, investment grade. Let's bring in Invesco's head of North America investment grade credit, Matt Brill. Matt, great to have you with us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The flows have been big, and it's been from both institutional as well as retail investors. Um, where are you seeing this money go to sector-wise? So for the last uh, month, I'd say we're seeing inflows. You've seen about eight weeks, actually, of, of consistent inflows. And it's been going everywhere but the banks. And that's where everybody's been trying to avoid. Uh, you know, after Silicon Valley, everybody couldn't really analyze the situation. And it was sort of one bank after another, and who would be next? Um, but now we're actually getting to the point where the banks are starting to come back, and that's where we see a lot of value right now. And, and what makes you think there's value there? Why are you going against the crowd on this one? And, and what kind <laughs> of banks? Well, because, you know, eventually, you know, you, you have to have the banks perform. You have to have a financial system that's functional in order for the overall markets to perform. So if the banks are not working, and then eventually you're going to have problems everywhere else. Um, we're looking at the big six banks, you know, the, the J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley's of the world that are yielding close to five and a half percent for 10 years. And you're looking at the super regionals that are yielding somewhere between eight and 12 percent for just two to five years. So a lot more jump to default risk there. Concerns about whether they make it through the next several months. Um, if they do, they should make it through the next several years. Um, so for our, from our standpoint, you know, that, that provides value. And, and it's, uh, it's a tough trade, but it's starting to get a little bit of traction. It's Karen. Thanks for coming on. I'm sorry. Are you saying the regional banks debt or the larger investment bank, the larger banks? So, so the, the safest but still significantly yielding banks um, are the big six banks. So you can get reasonable returns there. But in the regional banks, the super regional banks, the banks that have market caps of 10, 50, 100 billion dollars. Charles Schwab just did a deal last week. It was the first non-GSIB bank to come to market. It's going to thaw out things for the rest of the, 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 the banking space. And we think that that's going to be a good thing overall. Um, we're not out of the woods yet, but we're starting to see a lot of signs that there is value and, and there's, there's certainly some, some opportunity there. So how, let's go to the regional, the this, this sort of scary ones. How big is that <laughs> discount? How much do you think that gap can close? So you, you've got names like the key banks and fifth thirds of the world that are trading 400 basis points over um, that historically were closer to 100, 150. So um, you know, that they were in line to inside on a credit spread basis to where the you know, the, the big six um, were trading, and now they're, they're three times it. So, you know, will they get all the way back? You know, probably not. We think there's real, some, some real permanent damage here, but just nobody wanted to touch this for the longest time. Um, you know, the, the Charles Schwab deal is a very good sign to get through the market. Um, there's been a lot of other, like, big banks, super regional banks, people that actually have debit cards in their wallet. Those are the banks that are now having, having conversations uh, with investors and saying, look, our credit spreads are at levels we, 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 are, we are a little bit nervous with, and we can't live there forever. How do we get you comfortable with us? And they're really walking investors through things. And if you look under the hood, you know, they're really not that bad. Matt, I have a, just sort of a housekeeping question. If the U.S. gets <laughs> its, um, its, its credit rating downgraded, that puts a ceiling, I would assume, on, on whatever highest rating a company can get. So how does that cascade lower if there are some companies out there which, will then, which would then have a higher rating than the U.S.? Would they automatically have to be downgraded? Sure. So you see that in the EM world where, where that will happen in the U.S., that that is not necessarily the case. You know, we have instances right now, actually, 
or there's some corporate credit debt that's trading at a lower yield um, than the government. And that's all based around the, uh, you know, the, the debt ceiling and then the, the, the question of whether they're going to pay these T-bills on time that are coming up due and on June 1st as well as June 6th and then after that. Um, so, you know, you've got large corporations that their board meetings are not discussing whether or not they're going to be paying their debt. And that's essentially what's happening in the U.S. So, you know, we do think you get a debt ceiling resolution, but there's a lot of corporations out there that, that honestly, over the next several months, I have a higher confidence that they're going to pay us on time um, than, than, than the U.S. government. Yeah. Matt, thank you. Matt Brill of Invesco. Interesting where the uh, opportunities are right now. Well, yeah. And, and there's a difference between, of course, between a credit rating and a credit spread. And so obviously you, you can't you know, necessarily pierce the sovereign ceiling, but you can certainly trade through the government in terms of tighter. Um, it's interesting, though, I mean, in looking at Matt's notes, I mean, ultimately, I think his point, though, is that there's only one way for ingressment grade credits to go, which is to deteriorate somewhat. In other words, that we are living in a world where credit metrics have not necessarily really been tested. Um, I do think that investors have a unique time in history to be investing in high-grade credit and actually moving up the credit curve right now uh, because I think there are major opportunities. Coming up, Elon Musk talking with Ford CEO Jim Farley on Twitter Spaces. The details from the conversation next. Fast Money's back in two. a news alert on Tesla and Ford. The company's CEO is just unveiling an EV charging collaboration on Twitter Spaces. Ford owners will now have access to about half of Tesla's supercharger network. Let's get back to Phil Abo with the details. Phil. They're about 10 minutes into this uh, Twitter Spaces conversation uh, between Jim Farley and Elon Musk. And you hit the headline, Melissa, that there is going to be a partnership when it comes to EV charging between Ford and Tesla. Not to get too wonky here, but Tesla has long had its own protocol called NACS when it comes to Tesla superchargers. And maybe if we have the details of the announcement, we can call that up. Um, and what they are basically saying here is that Ford, instead of using the other protocol, which is known as CCS, it will be having uh, allowing the current Ford owners those EV owners will get access, likely starting sometime early next year, to Tesla superchargers. Right now, if you have a Ford F-150 Lightning, you cannot charge it at a Tesla supercharging station. There will be an adapter that will be sent or bought by Ford EV owners. That will give them access to 12,000 plus uh, Tesla superchargers, about half of their superchargers around the world, uh, most of them here in North America. And then Ford's second-generation electric vehicles, which start in 25, they will have the Tesla NACS charging standard. The significance here, Melissa, as you take a look, and we previously showed what the uh, EV market share is in North America, if they can coalesce all of the companies around one standard, and it's the Tesla standard, make things a lot easier for everybody within the industry. And Jim Farley basically came out and said, look, this is this charging network that Tesla has, I mean, it's, it is impressive. And so a smart thing for Ford to do is to say, we're going to fall in with Tesla in terms of the NACS, NACS standard. And you'll start to see this on all Ford EVs starting with the next generation, which come out in 2025, uh, mid-25 maybe. Uh, and that's when you will see no more needing an adapter in order to charge at a Tesla site. Phil, thank you. 
Philibeau. And don't miss Jim Farley on Squawk Box. That's tomorrow, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Four chairs up 1% after hours on the news. Dan? Yeah, a huge piece of news. I think it, it really it is about EV adoption, right? So how do these guys like Ford and GM, how do they speed that up? And we know that, you know, we all give Tesla a ton of credit about, like, the way that they built out the supercharging uh, network across the nation. It really incentivized their, you know, people to buy an EV with them. I had a Ford Mach-E. It was fully electric. I loved it. The problem I had is they don't have the charging network built up. It was very, very unreliable. Tesla has such a huge lead, uh, huge lead here. And I think Tesla is actually really smart to open this up because a bigger pie for them, I think, works better you know, in the long term. So. All right. Meantime, Washington gearing up for cabinet-level talks with China that could have a huge impact on trade between the two countries. Options traders are betting this is great news for one of China's flagship companies. Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly is here to break down the numbers. Kevin. Hi, Melissa. We saw a heightened uh, trading volume in Alibaba today with about 2.87 times the amount of calls versus puts. And the stock has about an implied move of about 3%. And what you saw today is traders came in and traded a lot of the July 21st, 2023, $100 strike calls. And so there was about 16,700 of those contracts. And so they're trading around 85 cents right now. Kevin, thanks for that. Kevin Kelly, Kelly Intelligence. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, lacrosse the country. The Premier Lacrosse League rolling out a brand new format ahead of this year's season. Co-founder Paul Rabel will join us next to lay it out. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. That is Premier Lacrosse League co-founder Paul Rabel ringing the opening bell here at the NASDAQ this morning. The PLL announcing starting next year, all of their eight teams will be assigned to a home city. The league will still stick with its weekly traveling model, but the hope is this new wrinkle will increase fan loyalty. Paul is here to explain how this will help. Paul, great to have you back here at the NASDAQ Market Center. Thanks for having me. And did you know I was late to hitting the button? Because oh, we were yeah. so excited. Actually, that was it's all over late. Twitter. People were talking. But there was a bump. That's okay. So maybe that's a, I don't know if that's a, a superstitious thing, but they likely won't have us back until maybe one day we go public. But thanks for having me. <laughs> so now, yeah. let's say you live in New York City, you have, a, you have a home team to cheer for, in theory. Potentially, right? I, every major sports league has a team in New York. And then you also look at traditionally Chicago and California, L.A., but with a lot of sophistication and tech that's getting tech owners, I'd say they're getting into sports. We've seen enterprise value created really all over the country. So for us, which we'll be announcing the markets at the end of the year, Mid-Atlantic, Northeast, everyone knows is, is really populated in lacrosse, but growth markets, Great Lakes, Rocky Mountain, sort of emerging markets, California, Texas, Pacific Northwest. So we have eight teams. We wanna carry as much of the geography of the US as we can. When you say emerging, markets, meaning that there's some nascent demand there, interest, and you think that if you put a team there, you attach a team to that region, then that will grow? Exactly. So, so we look at participation data. It's really important. We look at information from our partners in ESPN and viewership and where that's happening on a location basis. We also have Ticketmaster as our partner, so they help us with venue selection. So we don't own the venues. We will at some point. But without owning them, we need to have preference that fits sort of our market fit when it comes to audience and 
that type of stuff. So, Paul, talk to us. Last year, you were on with us, and you just announced this multi-year um, partnership with ESPN. But yeah. it's not just ESPN. It's obviously Disney. You guys have games on ABC, right? Yeah. So what has that meant for you and just the adoption of the game? And to Mel's point about some of these kind of nascent markets, it's probably getting – lacrosse is getting the sort of exposure it just never has before. Well, it's critical because broadcast is carrying still the biggest punch when it comes to traditional television viewership. So we have eight – ABC windows this summer. We have another eight on ESPN and ESPN2, and then all of our games are simulcasted on ESPN+, Plus, which is new, and we're starting to see a lot of the major networks with streaming providers begin to bundle and simulcast and renegotiate their affiliate fees with the cable service providers. So we're learning a lot about not only our audience that watches on the ESPN Plus app, but are consuming across ABC and ESPN, and then producing the game differently for them. Because a lot of the ABC folks may have never watched lacrosse for the first time. So how are we telling that story? Or sort of our core audience is on plus. Um, there was a report that Disney is considering um, ESPN as a standalone streaming service. And I'm wondering how you think about Does that change yeah. what you do? Does it change the sort of advertising that you expect to get? Does it change how you package the games? Well, Disney's doing, I think, phenomenal work right now. And, and they spent an hour of their upfront last week featuring ESPN. So if you just look at it, just maybe pull back, 94 of the last 100 broadcasts or the top 100 broadcasts last year were live sports. All right, so Disney sees that, Paramount sees that, Warner sees that. And so what they're also seeing is growth on the streaming side with Plus. We're in both areas. So what we're focused on doing right now is continue to drive as much uh, interest both on the streaming services as we can, garner new attention from cable and, and broadcast. We're confident that ESPN is going to continue to take a bigger position with Disney in, in way of how they're integrating into their sales teams and into their sponsorship and advertising efforts. And so we feel really good about not only that, but their shoulder programming that can, they can use to promote their properties. Paul, thanks for stopping by. Good luck with the season. Starts June what? 3rd and 4th 3rd on 4th. ABC, both days. The only time we'll permit another network to be managed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> nice job. But I love being here. And thank you all for having me. Yes. You got yes. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Not because of this Tesla announcement, although it's good stuff. Nice to see the EV folks working together. But Ford really has uh, no place to go but up in terms of their EV business. And 11 bucks, good support for the stock. Karen. Yeah, Ulta. I mean, if you're looking for a time to buy it, I'd let it shake out a little bit. Three-day rule at least here. Dan. Yeah, quiet, stealthy move in yields. I guess you notice that? Yields? TLT, maybe I'd support you. Okay. Paul Rabel's one of the top five lacrosse gonna, players. Oh, okay. what, what are you going to say? I think he's a stud. He is a stud. Oh, yeah. No, he's a stud. He's up there with Tom Rogers. But he will go down as a better business person than the lacrosse player. Mark my words. Alibaba below 80 mils. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.